Hey everyone, Patrick here with a quick note just before we get started. Make sure you stick around all the way to the end of the episode because we have a sneak preview of a brand new podcast that we think Perfect Organism listeners are going to want to check out. So stay all the way through the end credits and uh, you'll find it there. But before that, we have a great interview. So sit back and enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! George, move! Dad! Move, Dad! Move, Dad! Get Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. Dude, I'm so psyched. We have another great guest tonight. This is a, a, a great way to start February. Yes, indeed it is. How you doing? Take it you away. good? I'm doing well. A little tired, but I'm all right. You're a little tired. You drove uh, 500 miles today, I think I heard you say. It's about yes, 600, yes. 700 miles? It was at least 1,000 <laughs> miles today. Might as well be. Doing well, and I couldn't get to sleep until 4 o'clock in the morning last night. So Why is that? Part of it. Did you watch Colorado Space? No, I was watching Taboo with Tom Hardy, and that's it's really good. It's so good. That's fucking dark. Uh, You can't keep your eyes off of it. You can't keep your eyes off him. He just takes every inch of the frame that he's in. It's a pretty amazing show. You know, Mike and I were just talking about him last night because we were, uh, or a couple nights ago, we were watching Tenet, um, which I'm sure we'll do a frame right on, so I won't spoil my feelings on Tenet. But uh, we were talking about how Tom Hardy was not on our radars before Inception. And how, like, seeing him in Inception, I was like... He was on my radar before Inception. He was? Yeah, he'd he'd done Bronson. He'd done a few things. But I just... That was, like, the first time I, like, noticed him. And I was like, holy shit, this is a talented actor. You know? Bane and The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Incredible. (laughs) We do do have a guest. All right, so uh, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give him a little intro. I was thinking about how to introduce our guest tonight, which I'm just going to be... It's it's funny. I'm acting like people don't know who it is, but literally he'll be in the title of the episode. But uh, anyway, there's this ongoing thing in comics. If you grew up a comics fan, there's this back and forth about DC versus Marvel. And it's this totally like ridiculous argument. But, you know, you kind of at some point kind of like you're fundamentally an alien person or an aliens person. Uh, everybody, when they're young, if they're into comics, decides at some point, like, I'm a Marvel person or I'm a DC person. And it becomes this kind of a joke, you know? Uh, the writer we have on tonight is not only both a Marvel and a DC writer, uh, but he's written for Boom Comics and uh, many other independent and smaller labels out there. In addition to being a musician, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point, uh, and a, a full-time active member of the military, 
And uh, as of re relatively recently, the writer of the upcoming Alien series for Marvel Comics, as well as Superman and uh, and other things that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into tonight. But anyway, Philip Kennedy Johnson, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh man, it is it is legit my pleasure. I mean, obviously I'm going to say that, but I I I really really mean it. I've heard you guys' podcast before. I love Alien stuff. This is my favorite Aliens podcast. I'm stoked to be here and talk about this stuff. That is awesome, dude. Are you are you fu fundamentally? And I realize that there might be contractual issues here, so I won't press you on this. Are you a DC person or a Marvel person? If, if somebody like were to put a gun to your head and ask you that, which would be weird. <laughs> it would be weird, but you know what? It's that kind of year. Um, <laughs> still, in 2021, it still it's still is. that kind of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the past 12 months, you know. Um, yeah. uh, man, I mean, as a, as a kid, as a young kid, that answer would definitely have been DC. And I've kind of, over the years, I would kind of go back and forth. Um, I mean, I learned how to read off of comics and I had this, I had a stack of DC, a stack of Marvel and a stack of like the cartoony stuff. And I would kind of go, I would kind of be streaky and go from one to the next. Like I'd just be way, way into one of them more than the others. But my heroes, my, like my real heroes were Batman and Superman. Mm. Uh, and I also had these like a ton of like Spider-Man team ups and stuff, but um, Batman and Superman were kind of like, the ones I would keep going back to is like, I want to be like these guys, you know? Um, then in the nineties, I was reading um, a lot like around Batman nightfall and night's end and all stuff. When we, when Bruce was out of the Cape for a while, um, Superman had a mullet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joe mad was drawing X-Men back then. And X-Men were on TV too. X-Men were the coolest thing around x-men were everywhere and then that the show 90s. was amazing yeah i fucking i i will never forget the first vhs tape i got as a as an, a kid who was old enough to appreciate it was the x-men animated series pizza hut giveaway bonus in like 1994 <laughs> yeah. i fucking adored that show <laughs> it's <was> great man. <laughs> and i mean back then at that age if you were not watching x-men you were just human shit and <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the comics were great. I mean, there was like Joe Mad was crushing. He's like at the height of his powers. Like you're getting like Phalanx Saga and Age of Apocalypse, and they were just crushing it. Huge and I still still loved Batman, Superman, and Green Lantern too. But X Men were just of this insanely high quality. I mean, Jim Lee. Was, I'm not sure it was the same time, but like right around that same exact time. Um, within a couple of years of that, uh, Jim Lee was doing doing the new X Men series, and everything was just firing all cylinders. That was the book you had to read. I mean, like these days. Like Avengers is so awesome now. I mean, X-Men still now X-Men's kind of we're in the age of X-Men again now. But for a while it was Avengers. Where it was like, if you're not if you're not keeping up with Avengers, you know, you just don't read comic books. Um, so it really does go back and forth for me, depending on it's all about the creators, really. And as a kid, I didn't know who the creators were. I was just I was just reading stuff I liked. You know, I didn't know who was making them. I didn't care about that stuff at the time. Um, but uh it just depends on who's making them and what the stories are like, you know. That's a great, that's a, that's a true comics fan answer. And I'm, I'm going to get back to Alien and other things momentarily, I swear to God. But Brian Michael Bendis is, is probably my favorite writer for comics of all time. And you took over from him for Superman, correct? In action comics? Yeah. What the fuck was that like? Was that, was that like a crazy moment in your life that could be handed up? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just a shot I never thought I'd get, you know? I mean, Bendis, he's, he's a hero of mine too. When I, I mean, I didn't read at all. I didn't read for fun at all through college. Like, I mean, right. pretty much. I mean, you're just constantly working. And I was, I was studying music and 
Um, I don't, I don't know how it compares to other majors as far as time commitment, but I was constantly, I just sold my soul to the practice room and just constantly practicing and reading. And, um, I was reading stuff and it was all for school and just to make myself this badass musician. And, um, so I mean, comics kind of just took a back seat, like a way back seat for a long time. Um, so when I finally got back to it, Basically, I was kind of getting back into the scene to see what it was like to help out my brother who had decided to become a comic artist. So I'm going to start writing stories for you because he didn't have a portfolio or anything. He just had like he was good at at drawing, you know, Cape Mass type figures, but he didn't have any pages of sequential images, you know, like any storytelling chops yet. So I was like, well, I'm just going to just move in with me and we'll go we'll go to conventions together and we'll get you ready for whatever you're going to do next. And we'll just figure this out together. And um, I went back into a comic store. And even back in the day, I'd never been in a comic store to speak of. I think maybe once, literally ever. I mean, I was getting all my comics from these boxes of hagged out comics from flea markets or garage sales or whatever. Um, sometimes I'd get stuff off the spinner rack at the, um, at the grocery drug- store. Yeah, yeah. grocery <laughs> store or like magazine. Yeah. That's when you can get them back then. And they had you know pretty decent selections. Um, just a very different scene than now. And I didn't know comic books, the comic book stores were a thing. I was just this country mouse and didn't know shit. And so then years later, I was like, well, hey, let's see what comics look like now. We're going to figure this out. I started going to conventions and I found this amazing comic store and it just blew me away how far they'd come. I mean, back, you know, instead of things I was reading in the 90s, which at the time I loved, now we're getting like these things that subvert the superhero tropes like Irredeemable and The Boys and stuff I'd never imagined. American Vampire and Lock and Key and these incredible creator-owned books. And um, and the Astonishing X-Men, actually, with uh, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, like, just blew me away how high the quality had become and how grown up the stories had become without being, like, not necessarily gritty, like some of them are, surely, but but not all. It just how, how much more serious everything was being taken. Um you know, at least from my perception compared to like the grocery store stuff. Like I know there was amazing stuff coming out back in the day that I just wasn't aware of. Um, so anyway, one of those, this is a super long answer, but I find I, one of those things that I discovered was Powers by Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, it's a and, great book. And New Avengers that he was doing at the time, like the Avengers Disassembled and New Avengers and those like that beginning of his friggin' epic Avengers run that I would argue is the best Avengers run that's ever been, you know, just made the Avengers so cool again. Um, and I, I learned, I really loved how he wrote dialogue, like for, for novelizations, for, for prose, I always loved Elmore Leonard's, um, writing style for dialogue. For me, that was kind of Bendis for comics. Um, even though there, you know, there's a lot of back and forth balloons and panels and stuff like it gets wordy sometimes, but it just makes the comic, it makes the conversations feel real. It makes them feel more organic, more you know, kind of overlapping the way people actually talk and not so line, pause, line, like you sometimes get. Um, that way of kind of smoothing over the beats like he does just made it feel really natural. And he had this knack for defining a character's um, personality in a couple of words of dialogue. Like if you, I mean, you could take a page of Avengers, take out all the art and just have the balloons and you could tell who was speaking. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's incredible. You know, so yeah, all the respect for Bendis. He's one of, he's been like one of my, you know, shining stars since, since then, since those books, I kind of look, look back to him as far as how to write, you know, quippy dialogue and how to write dialogue for certain kinds of characters. And um, 
yeah, to hear that you're taking over for that guy is just, I mean, I can't describe that feeling. It's, it's not as, it was not as crushing pressure as you would imagine. Like I, I expected to feel, I've heard these stories from people who got their first big shot at, you know, Batman or X-Men or whatever, and how they just feel this incredible weight, like they're having panic attacks and stuff. I never felt that. I just felt amazingly excited. I was like, I can't wait to do this now. Like I've been, I've been doing all these other books and I'm so, I'm just so ready, you know? Um, so yeah, I've just been feeling incredibly stoked. And um, so far only one issue of some of my Superman has come out and uh, none of my aliens come out yet, but these are definitely the biggest opportunities I've had so far. And I just am over the moon excited to see what people think of it. And this year in particular must be so incredible because, because both of those, th- these are 2021 releases, right? Yeah. Alien stuff and the Superman stuff. Yeah, it's just that's just extraordinary. Anyway, Jamie, you were going to say something. Sorry. No, I, I just have a question for you. Um, I'm a huge fan of Superman. Superman and Wonder Woman are my two favorite superheroes. Um, I, I'm curious how you how do you see him? How do you? I mean, he's been he's been depicted in several different forms. Uh, and certainly, I'll pivot off of the movie versions because that's. I've seen all the movies. I have read some comics of Superman for sure, but his portrayal, you know, is is complicated sometimes. And he can be this kind of all-American football s- star who's like this, I don't know, like everything he says is right, or he's conflicted and he's got a dark burden Um and uh, there's something on his mind all of the time. There's a little bit of a shade of darkness to him. So I'm curious how you see him. Or, but also within that question, do you have creative control to create the Superman that you see? Or are, are you dictated like, no, this is sort of what we're going for with him? So far, they've been extremely generous as far as creative direction. And I feel like if I were to come to them, with some crazy pants thing that was going to totally break continuity. They'd probably walk me back some be like, eh, let's not have Superman, you know, punch Jimmy Olsen's head off or whatever. Like <laughs> if I was in something where it's like really going to just completely alter who the characters are or take some, take someone really important off the board or whatever that we, we, it would lead to a conversation. I'd have to justify that for sure. But as far as my depiction of who the character is, um, I think I kind of made that clear. I think I made my depiction of Superman pretty clear to them out of the gate and they were all about it. So when you were talking about the everything is right, Superman versus conflicted and, and uh, you know, darkness underneath and all that, in my mind's eye, I see Christopher Reeve, Henry Cavill. I don't know if that's what you meant to do, but that's what I saw. So No, for sure, for sure. Those are the choices, Christopher Reeve all day. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I mean, I, I definitely... I love seeing, I want to see the Christopher Reeve kind of Superman in the context of bigger, bolder, more epic stories than they could tell in those films back then due to, you know, constraints like financial or just CG or uh, not CG, but like any visual effect constraints. Um, You know, you can't see a movie where Christopher Reeve is doing, um, like truly like world breaking, crazy, epic feats. That just wasn't possible back then, but that's that's what I see in my mind's eye. I see Christopher Reeve in the context of bigger, more epic cosmic stories, you know? Okay. And as far as who he is, 
Um, I have very, very clear opinions on that. I think that, um, I think, how do I explain it? He should be kind of the living contradiction to that the old cliche, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like he's the guy with absolute power who wields it with absolute uh, compassion and humility. And for me, he needs to be that. He needs to be the best of us. Um, I don't want to see Superman. I don't. Not to say you can't struggle. I don't. You know, I'm. I'm gonna put Superman through the mill in my run, but I'm not gonna make him this super shady character that has made these big tragic mistakes he has to somehow redeem himself for. Like that's not what I want to see out of Superman. Um, I want to see somebody who, you know, like Christopher Reeve, saves us. And when we're like, you're amazing, gives us a little smile that with no ego, with no arrogance, it's just a little smile that just kind of tells us, you know, I'm your friend and you don't have to worry. Like I'm, I'm here to save you. I'm here, not even, not even out here to save you because that suggests he puts himself above us, but I'm, you know, I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. I'm here to help you, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, mm-hmm. I just see him as this, just the, he needs to have this heart. He needs to have, the powers can't be the, the point. The powers are just there to illustrate how incorruptible he is. You know, I want to see somebody that has that power that is not tempted to, you know, rule the galaxy or to go on lander on it. Yeah. Kill his enemies or, Hmm. you know, straighten us out. He's going to, he's only here to help regardless of how much power he has. And he's the one who, you know, just makes the right choice and shows us what to do. You know, we need heroes like that. And and I, I feel like we've started there was such a trend for like 20 years of like every hero has to be so flawed that they have to be constantly fighting against their inner demons. They have to be constantly struggling with that. But the reality is, is like the, there, there, there is good in the world, you know, and there is incorruptible good in the world. There are some people who are just really genuinely good. And Steve Rogers is a character to me is another one of these characters where like the best Captain America storylines are the ones where he is the most good, right? Where he is the one who is just, we are, we are looking up to him and it is, it is a good thing that we're doing that. And with Superman, I've, Jamie and I have had a lot of back and forth on Superman because he's a big Superman fan, and uh, and I I am not. But many of my close you know relatives, like my cousin Joey, who is, was freaking out that I got to talk to you tonight, by the way, because he's like the biggest Superman fan ever. You know, he's constantly going on and on about how much he loves Superman. And for me, like I think I've kind of fallen out of that because Superman has become. You know, I I came of age in the whole you know apocalypse storyline, and you know when, when things were so dark with Superman, I was like, what's what's the what's what's special about him? So it's nice hearing this this return to this incorruptible ideal. I think that's a really strong choice. I think people I will resonate really, that. Amazingly, I'm just so excited for people to see it, man. I and the, especially with these artists that are attached, they're just crushing it at every turn. And yeah, I mean, I've read anytime I read a take on Superman, that's the way you're describing, where it's it's dark somehow, or he's kind of here to sort of straighten us out, or kind of just throwing his weight around. I just kind of put that in the in my mind, in my brain canon. I put that in the pile of like fan fiction, like this isn't real. Like what, what I'm seeing is not really Superman. Well, what's interesting, and I know we're going to move on to Aliens, but just because I love Superman, it's interesting whenever I hear Patrick's take on Superman, but even hearing you like, hey, no, I'm Christopher Reeves, and admittedly, he's a character where people have imbued their own ideas onto him, who he should be, but I never got the idea that Superman was this perfect thing. He might have these amazing powers, but he wasn't like this god from another planet he has godlike powers but he's not perfect and i loved that henry cavill was burdened with his version of like 
trying to fit in and not fitting in. Like that would be something you would probably deal with. And even in Christopher Reeve's version, he dealt with that as a kid, as a teenager, like he didn't fit in. As a young person, and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I, it makes him more um, relatable. Um, but maybe he, for you, he isn't supposed to be as relatable. He's supposed to save the day. Not that I'm trying to put words in your mouth, but no, it's, it's it, interesting. I'm actually really kind of thrilled you have the other take because I, I typically don't hear that. And I, I kind of want to hear more about that. Like I, yeah, I don't want to relate to Superman, I guess. I am. Um, interesting. I, I want him. He should be something that we aspire to be like. Mm-hmm. Now it's, yeah, I do like seeing, okay. The stuff about him growing up and learning to be what he became, I think that's awesome. Um, I did not care for the take in Man of Steel in which they make Pa Kent um, the voice of the voice of doubt. Like, don't use your powers for good. You need to hide, 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 hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that was exactly the opposite of what Pa Kent is supposed to be. Um, the Kents are what made him Superman. And even if he had never, if his powers had never manifested, he would still be this amazing person who would be using everything that he had gained from his parents, from his earth parents to do all the good he could do. He would still be this amazing writer who tried to save the world through, you know, changing hearts and minds with his writing. And he would be saving anyone face to face that he could any little way that he could expending every iota of energy to help people. The idea that he would just be like this, you know, wandering superhuman hobo that just kind of, you kind of, I mean, I, I do like that he used it. He used his powers on the sly, but even then you could tell he kind of felt guilty about it. Like he's supposed to be hiding and that's, um, it's just all wrong, man. In my, in my, yeah. in my, my opinion, yeah. um, the, the, it should be like Krypton and his, his uh, Kryptonian parents are where he got his powers. But the reason he's exceptional is because he has those powers and he was taught humility and compassion for humankind from his birth parents. That's yeah, like, and I, yeah, and I think what they were probably trying to do with Pa Kent, uh, the Kevin Costner version of Pa Kent, was they're kind of going like the, the X Men has been always um, compared to like the LGBT people and hiding their powers and hide it and that kind of boomer attitude when you're raising children. This is you know okay, whatever, but if you want to live in this society, you have to hide this. And I can, I can see what they were doing, but I would probably agree with you that it didn't really work for Superman because he really didn't hide his powers. He did all of those things in front of all of those people um, all over. Um, but yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, that's my take. And I I mean, if you read the... And I feel bad talking about it for so long because we're talking, you know, it's an alien podcast, but... I mean, he's an alien, right? Superman's an alien. We can do this. It's totally. technically an alien. I mean, he's a, kind of a xenomorph. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, he. Cryptomorph. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, my first issue of Superman is out there. It's called uh, Superman Worlds of War, like Future State Superman Worlds of War. And um, the second issue comes out in February. And those two issues are kind of my mission statement on who Superman is and what he's supposed to be. It's kind of a love letter to this um, anthology I had when I was a kid called. Um, Superman 400. And it was this amazingly all-star cast of creators that did, I mean, just beautiful work. All the, the theme that tied all the short stories together was um, Superman in the future. Like what's going to, what's he going to be like in the future or how are we going to see him in the future? 
that was the, the common theme that tied all the stories together. And it was this incredibly art house take on Superman that I really loved. Um, like Frank Miller had a story in there. There was pinups by friggin' the best, like most legendary artists who were alive at that time. And um, it's kind of a love letter to that concept. Like it's Superman in the future. But the first issue is our statement on what Superman means to us. And the second issue is what we mean to him, the way that we inspire him. Hmm. The whole thing takes place years after he's left Earth and he's gone. Nobody knows why or where he went. Smallville has become like this Roswell type, you know, kitschy, touristy place because everyone knows that he was from there by this point. Um, you know, and we see this little, like a support group kind of, like these people who have all been saved by Superman over the years get together and remember him and tell these fables about where they think that he is and what he's doing. Um, and then we see where he actually is. It's, um, I think that will be up as far as my take on Superman and what he should mean to people. It's just another douchebag like us that has powers that's trying to f- figure himself out. Um, it doesn't give me anything to aspire to. You can kind of question, you can kind of question the decisions he makes. You can kind of like, well, what would I do in that situation? To me, it should be more of an experience of like watching the 1978 film, like opening credits where the music kind of builds and builds. Mm-hmm. Credits are rolling over your head and you see the S shield just like zoom on screen and the trumpets are sailing. And it's like, oh God, I just want to fly. And I just want to be so much more than I am. I want to save everyone. I want to go out there and just do great things. That's what he should be. He should give me that. He should give me those same kind of chills that 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 movie did. And I, I want to feel that same inherent goodness that I saw in Christopher Reeve in those movies, you know? So that's what he is to me. I'm going to try to give people those same chills in the books. That's awesome. Yeah. And those are available right now for people who are listening. To yeah. Worlds, yeah. Worlds of Wars out there right now. When are you going to air this? Uh, probably next week. So beginning of February. So yeah. Uh, by that point, Worlds of War should be coming out the following week. So be on the lookout. Go to your local comic book store. Yeah. The first issue is out now. Second issue is out you know, a week after this comes out. The second issue comes out in, a little bit later in February. Or, or, you know, put a mask on and go to your local comic store. Or you can call them. But I have had the same comic store since we moved away, away from Massachusetts. And Steve at Outer Limits in Waltham, Massachusetts, sends me a box every month with my comics in it. And I will add this to that box because this is great. And I want awesome. to say one last awesome. thing really quickly, and then we're going to leave the general comic conversation because this could literally go on for 12 hours if, if you guys could stay up because this is such a great conversation. But um, I want to say you were mentioning, uh, Philip, about um, having kind of a treatise like the beginning of the run, right, on, on the essence of this character. Yeah. Did you follow Dan Slott's run on Amazing Spider-Man at all? Did you read Some of it, yeah. Kind of in and out of the Spider-Man run, yes. So the final issue that he did before Nick Spencer took over, who's doing a great job with it, uh-huh. uh, a great, a truly great job with it. But um, Dan Slott also is a great writer. His final issue was 801. Um, and it was after this like massive event where Norman Osborn gets the carnage symbiote and it's this like whole huge deal. And it's one of these big crossover things with the Red Goblin and all this stuff. Right. Um, and then he ended his whole run with this tiny little, basically a one shot, although it's part of the continuity of the book, that is just about one person that Spider-Man saved. And he saved his life because he was, you know, fighting with henchmen and he like broke up this robbery and uh, the guy was buying cigarettes that day at a gas station and he like his life was saved and he kind of like put the cigarettes down. And he walked away. And then the rest of the issue is just this guy's life that happened and like the graduation of his kids, them getting married, him growing old with his wife, like all these little things that happened because of this one tiny little act of goodness that happened when he was a young man from Spider-Man. And it was like this 
for me, it was, it said everything. It's my favorite character in all of fiction. It said so much to me about what that character is. And it also referenced his very first issue on the run too. So I, I recommend in terms of treatises on characters, like amazing Spider-Man 801. That, that sounds incredible. I'll definitely be looking for that. I did know about the, I read the the red goblin stuff. I did not know about that, that issue you're talking about. I yeah, it was for a sure. crazy little like 18 page issue that came out. It was just this. Those are things we look for, man. Like I, there was a story of, of Captain America like that for me that Ed Brubaker, it was a, might've been the annual. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh, actually, no, it was a, it was a numbered issue. I think it was right around the time that Bucky was taken over for, for cap. And uh, let's see what happened. It was like Ed Brubaker wrote it and Gene Colan like this old pro from the back, from the old back in yeah. the day drew it. And um, it's the thing about just like a, like Bucky is telling a story about the time he and cap faced these like vampires in Nazi Germany. But it was the thing I remember best is like the very beginning of that issue. <clears throat> when the two of them, they, they go into this, it's like raining. They go into some old, like, uh, you know, bombed out, bar or whatever and there's a there's an american soldier there dying and cap just talks to him as the guy dies and uh, they, they come and reminisce about this battle that they were both at and it was just this beautiful moment and then the, the kid that's dying turns into who's scared to die and all that doesn't know that anything's wrong he uh turns into a vampire and then it becomes a whole other thing but the, the conversation is cap is just waiting for the change to happen is this really beautiful kind of creepy but really beautiful moment and those are the kind of moments that we remember man like just conversations about their, you know, about something that they experienced back in the day and the kids saying he's cold or afraid or something. It just helps you see those characters that much better and care about them that much more. If it's just wall to wall, whoop ass, nobody cares. And what a gift, man. You, you get to do this now for readers around the world, you know, like my kids, you know, we read comics together almost every single night before bed. And like, we'll be reading your comics. Like my, my little kids will be growing up with your stories in their heads. Like, that's fucking awesome. I'm, and, I, and it's, it's, thanks. I've been very fortunate. I'm super blessed to be able to do this kind of thing. Well, let's get back to alien. Yeah. Jamie, you want to pivot us back over? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I guess the first question would be, I mean, I have other questions. Like, how do you even, and this is related to everything, certainly with Alien, how do you, how do you get to be a writer? How did you get to be, how did you get this position where you're, where you're a writer for Marvel? Um, and you're also in the service at the same time. How do you, how did that all happen? Um, almost by accident. <laughs> I mean, it, uh. So I studied, you know, music through college as a when I become a musician. So I did that, and I kind of had my eye on the service bands, like the DC military bands, um, for that whole time. I mean, I, I wanted to kind of do it all. I want to play in funk bands, rock bands, you know, classical orchestras, and you know, big bands, whatever I could do. You know, like I just wanted to do it all and tour and see the world and just be this badass trumpet player. Um, so I just went like both feet into that that uh, that culture so i'm in uh one of the dc military bands now the u.s army field band that primarily tours about a third of the year like we're stationed wow. in the dc area but we tour the, the continental u.s a lot overseas a little bit and um just kind of connect america to its army we honor our veterans and um go places where the army is not kind of show people what the army is doing kind of tell the story about what's happening around the world that's a job i really believe in really dig it 
And uh, my first couple of years in, my younger brother, who also was a trumpet player and, and artist, we both did comic art as well, um, decided he wanted to be an artist. And then, you know, as I said earlier, we just kind of, I just kind of did what I could to help him out. And I figured out how comic scripts work, what they look like, wrote some stories for him to illustrate just to give him some stuff in his portfolio. It was really fun. He ended up joining the service also as a multimedia illustrator. That's the name of the job. Um, where they train him in, you know, illustration software. And then when he got out, he got the GI Bill to go to art school. So he, he did all that and went to art school. And now we're about to make books together. And that was, that was always going to be the point. It was just to do it so that my brother and I could make books. But when he was going, when he was into the army and kind of doing his own thing, he was getting pretty busy and I wanted to work with more artists. So I, start, I kept going to conventions and met other people, met other artists, um, one of them was Matthew Dow Smith, who ended up being the illustrator for Last Sons of America, um, which would become my first printed book. And um, that got noticed to DC. So I kept, I kept doing other books at Boom Studios, that publisher, um, while I was doing my first occasional thing at DC. And um, one of my other Boom books, Warlords of Appalachia, got noticed at Marvel, started making the rounds over there. So as I'm doing these independent publisher books, they're getting noticed at the big the big two, as we call them, Marvel and DC. And um, it just led to, to more work. I ended up doing a short story, like, an, like a, a war story for DC, uh, excuse me, for Marvel. That led to Marvel Zombies Resurrection. And that was Cap huge. Thanks. I was really happy how that turned out. The art was great. And I was very excited to get to do a horror story. And I just very proud of it. And um, the Captain America story as well, which was a huge thrill as an American soldier. I'm, I'm still in the army now. It's been like 15 years now. And um, they let me write Cap, which was an amazing experience. That must have been, That's awesome. that must have been incredible. Oh, dude, I, I love Cap. Write the character. Yeah, Cap's another one of my comic heroes. It was really awesome to get to write him. Um, it was a very limited thing. It was a miniseries that tied in with, it was an Empire tie-in series. So when Marvel was doing the Empire event, that, I, did, I wrote the Cap miniseries for that. You did a number um, of Empire books, right? Uh, no, just the one. I just, just there's, one? There's, there's three issues. Yeah, I did the three issues of Cap. Oh, it was, for, the, it was the three issues of it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, just issues one, two, three, and then and Rob, Zombies Resurrection was coming out around the same time. Um, but it's, Zombies Resurrection should have come out before, but it got delayed because of COVID. Um, that was going to come out, and I think in April originally, and then they got pushed back till it was coming out kind of concurrently with with Cap. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I mean, the DC thing worked out. I got to do an issue of Batman, like a Tales of Dark Multiverse, like what if kind of story for Batman, which was incredibly fun. And um, I don't know if you guys know about the five G event that they were doing at DC, but they were planning yeah. this huge, this huge kind canceled, of canceled though or something. Yeah, they were doing they were planning this big kind of re not a reboot. Well, actually, yeah, like the hardest reboot ever, actually. <laughs> um, where it kind of it was going to be this big breaking and changing of the timeline where all the heroes, instead of Superman just kind of being around since the thirties and we just kind of don't talk about it, putting him in a very specific place on the timeline. And that this is when he is young and this is when he is old and this is when he is gone. Like if you, if you see Superman in his youth, that means it was the eighties or whatever. Hmm. Um, it's going to be this, this huge, crazy epic swing. Um, but that ended up being reimagined, uh, and so they were, we were figuring, figuring all this stuff out. And uh, then we kind of changed plans. And then they were like, they brought me in after the last God came out 
Um, Last God is my creator-owned epic created horror. That, right? Yeah, that was right. Yeah, big epic fantasy horror series. And I did so much world building for that book. That kind of put me on the map in a bigger way. When people saw I was willing to spend 10 times as many hours in the book as everyone else to like flesh out languages and, you know, music notation and ancient prayers and poems and songs. And I mean, I just went completely overboard and created this whole world. And DC is like, Hey man, <laughs> we got this cosmic thing that we want to do. We need that for us. <laughs> like, hell yeah. And then, uh, and I also, okay. And then around that same time, Marvel announced that they got the alien and predator franchises. And I, literally screamed out loud when I saw it like a little, like a little girl because <laughs> uh, I was just the biggest effing alien fan alive. Now, maybe, I mean, I know where I am. When <laughs> this is, this is rare company. You might not be. Among yeah. The I, of the show, yeah. I might be. not be the biggest, I might not be the biggest alien fan in this conversation, which is like crazy. <laughs> I'm always the guy, you know, singing the the, the gospel of Alien. Always. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I found this out, I assumed they already had a team put together because there was already art by David Finch out there, looking amazing. And I'm like, I they've fucking got fucking love David Finch. It's so good. Oh, I know. I do love Sal Salvatore La Roca. Let me let me let me not mince words. Yeah, his Doom Run was uh, yeah. like astounding. So yeah, he's he's you know, it's a win-win in my. Yeah, I um, I reached out to my Marvel Zombies editor. I was like, "You need to give me this book today." <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even know what an opportunity this is for you. I like, I sing myself to sleep at night with Alien. I love Alien, and uh, and honestly, there's there's a lot of you can see a lot of the Alien DNA in Marvel Zombies Resurrection. And so when I was telling him all this, he was like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> you might be right. I think you this might be a really good fit." And apparently around that same time, there was also a guy high up at, at Marvel that was kind of pitching me to, to be the guy, which I didn't know. Um, but when I just kicked the door in and was like, you know, nobody fucking move. Like I'm the big sailing fan. <laughs> Give me this book right now. They were like, I think we should do this. And so I got the call. <clears throat> I got the call from the other from the editor that became my editor on Alien, Jake Thomas. And Jake is like, hey man, we like to use you. And at the time, I think they might have been talking to somebody else about it too. But I gave him some pitches and they were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so that is how I got Alien. And I am just crazy excited about it. I've been running my whole life for a, for a, race, a race I never knew was coming. That's, That's awesome. so cool. Can you, so. uh, can you take us back a little bit through your personal journey with Alien? It's funny, what just what you said about being like, you're always the, the biggest fan in the room. This podcasting journey for me over the last four, almost four years I've been doing it, and Jamie for the last 700 years he's been doing this. It's a constant, <laughs> it's a constant experience of somehow not being the only person who's as obsessed with alien as I like my whole life. I was always like the weird alien fan in every conversation. And now like I talk to weird alien fans like all the time and it's fucking great. I know. You know? It's like find someone who has the same rare disease as you, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And we've got, I have brothers. <laughs> but yeah, but take, us, take us back a little bit. Yeah. It's, it is terminal. Dude. I don't even remember which movie I saw first. Cause it was so long ago. I, I mean, I How saw, old are you? I don't know. <laughs> I seriously don't know the answer. I um I don't remember which one I saw for. I remember when I was in the eight. Okay, in the eighties, I did not have internet or cable or jack shit. 
I was out in the, in the sticks of Kentucky, darkest Kentucky, <laughs> didn't have access to any like, you know, the only, the only movies that I saw by and large were movies that came on network TV. Mm-hmm. So, and they were always showing aliens on, on TV around that time mm-hmm. on NBC, yeah. like seven people, whatever you could see the second movie, you know, edited all to heck, I'm sure. But that's, I'm sure where I saw aliens for the first time. And um, around that same time, I saw the first one. Like, I mean, my heart tells me it was, I saw the first one first. Cause that, I mean, but I could, that could be totally wrong just cause it's, you know, because we're, you know, I can quote that whole movie as I'm sure you guys can. And I, I feel like I saw the chestburster thing happen first with John Hurt before I saw it in, you know, on, in the walls of the hive, but I don't know for sure anymore. It's been so long. Hmm. I saw, I saw aliens, the second one, the same the James Cameron, I saw not too long after it came out, I'm sure, which I, w- I would have been like around eight years old when it came out the first time. Um, so it would have aired on TV, you know, a year or two after that. So around that time when I was nine or 10 is probably when I saw those films, but, um, but I don't know. I really don't know. I, I just, I don't remember a time before I loved those movies. <laughs> Do you guys remember yeah. how old you were when you first saw the fucking widescreen? Cause, cause I remember specifically seeing it on TV as a little kid and everything was pan and scanned. So I had no clue what was happening in some shots. Yeah. And then yeah. finally got the VHS tapes. I was like, Oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. No. Yeah. Everything I ever watched back then, as far as like format and the screen I was looking at was just such trash. <laughs> so I, bad. I wouldn't have known the difference. I mean, I just like the TV, like stuff taped on an actual VHS tape on the VCR as big as my car. And then like watched on this awful little, you know, two knob TV that barely worked was like, that's just how I consumed media. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't have known the difference. Like, oh, whatever. It looks like trash in a slightly different shape. Um, so no, I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. I remember when the first time I saw a DVD, I think Alien 3 might have been the first one that I saw in a decent format. I saw that one on TV with everyone else too. And then when I saw it for real, um, I think I watched it with commentary and I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced because I get to yeah. see it, you know, yeah. in, a, in a decent format on somebody else's TV. Um, <laughs> you know, hearing the, you know, the actors talk about it. And I was just like, oh, this is so amazing. And that's when I think that's, that's when I kind of, my fandom kind of leveled up. I was like, I just had to know, I had to have everything that was coming out. I remember uh, going into Blockbuster as a kid and you would go to the sci-fi section all all the time at the top of the sci-fi, sci- sci-fi section on the top shelf was the Alien series. And then they would have the widescreen. So you'd see the yeah, box, the, the black screen. box. And I just yeah. remember every single time, like it was like walking over to the Holy Grail, like <laughs> the Alien series, you know, and then yeah, three would eventually came out because for a long time it was just those two. And then three eventually came out and joined them. And uh, yeah, it was finally seeing those movies the way they were meant to, especially in widescreen. And you're seeing the whole thing like, oh my God, like, cause they cut things off to put them in there. And then, yeah. It's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Hey, I know you guys, I've heard on this show, I've heard you guys talk about like, which kind of alien fan are you? Like which, which movie do you like the best and all that? And, you know, most people have like one or two that they don't really like. And um, I really, I stand by three. I know there's problems with it. And Fuck I, yeah. I, I mean, I hate that they, that they ditched those characters from like, you know, Newton Hicks, that sucks. You know, that sucks that they got rid of him kind of for no reason. That's by far the worst aspect. And I would love to see those characters again, of course. Um, but I don't feel like it deserves to get panned like it does. Um, 
I, I stand by three. I, I think I, th- I thought that's where Ripley's story should have ended. I thought that was a great ending for her. There's a lot of stuff about it I like. I like seeing the, the different corner of the universe. I get, like the world building shit where you get to see humans in a different place. That's so clearly not Earth. Um, the religious aspect, I think, is super rad. Seeing like a xenomorph, like a the quadruped xenomorph was incredible. Um, there's just so many things. It just it leveled up from from the second movie and just some interest, like just take takes another step as far as human development, as far as xenomorph development, as far as world building. It's just another step into the future is about what, you know, just making the world a little bit bigger. I thought that was awesome. And it's the only movie with the least mm. amount of tropes um, yeah. where you have a hopeless Ripley in there. Like it's really its own thing. Like it took yeah. the biggest risk. The of, yeah. They all, are. I love how different they all are. And honestly, that's something that's going to hold over into, into my comics too. Like I, the biggest, sorry, I'm probably stealing someone's question here, but the, the, um, I really like the dark horse comics. But kind of like I was saying with the Superman thing, where is you know if somebody takes a version of Superman and makes him kind of a, like a bully or like a, a warmonger or just anything that's not right to me in my brain, I'm like, well, that's not Superman, so I'll just enjoy this as fan fiction. That is kind of how I experience most of the Dark Horse books. Like I really enjoy pretty like a lot of them. I really like a lot of those books, but almost none of them feel like they belong in the same world as the films. Like there's the stuff with the Royal jelly and uh, the, you know, the, the Android xenomorph that talks, that speaks English. And um, a lot of the, like the different breeds of xenomorphs that you've seen um, even the stuff with Newton Hicks, like none of it really feels like quote unquote true to me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it would be weird to see almost any of those films on screen because it, it wouldn't, they wouldn't feel like they belong with the others, you know? The big mission statement for me with Alien is that my upcoming Alien run is that I want this to feel like it belongs with the films. I want to, mm. I want to make a series that it's going to, I'll tell you right now, it's taking place after the first two movies. And I want it in my mind's eye, there's like a bookshelf that holds the films and my, my uh, arcs are going to go right next to them. Um, I want somebody to just be able to watch the films and my books, read my books in order and have it all go together seamlessly. That's what I want. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're gonna. I'm. I'm gonna keep taking steps forward the way that we said, one to two to three do. We're gonna keep taking steps forward in that way. Keep developing the xenomorph in a way that keeps us scared. And we don't just get repetitive. Um, keep in- introducing new characters and world build out. Show more of Whale Yutani and the other, you know, human factions that you'll see. Um, not, we're not just gonna stagnate in the old stuff. But uh, I don't want to take such wild, crazy, you know, just, yeah, I don't want to go off the, I'm really mindful of not jumping the shark on this and making anything that is going to get decanonized later. I want this to be canon forever. So I have a specific question about that, that I want to get to, but I also want to make an observation quickly before I forget about it, because it's something that that you will appreciate. We, We were talking before, I think before we started recording about The Last of Us Part Two and how we both really adore that game, although it's incredibly hard. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. The Alien Three to me is is sort of the Last of Us Part Two of the Alien Saga, because it starts with doom, like it starts with with like unspeakable loss, right? Yeah. Um, and it ends with an an inevitable dark ending, which is dark but in a bright way, right? Because it's the death. Yeah. Of our dark hero. but reductive. Yeah. Right. But but we know we're getting there. You know, we start with pain, and we know we're ending with pain. But there's something very real and lived in about that. And that's why that game is playable. And it's why the, the film is watchable, even though they're both so difficult. And so I think part of what brings a lot of us back to Alien 3 over and over again is that it's important to feel those things. Like it's important to to be aware that like life doesn't have happy endings all the time and that nothing is simple and that you can paint with shades of gray and tell incredible stories with it. So Alien 3, I think, is just an absolute masterpiece. And I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. But I want to go back to canon for a second so and sure. in, in, with the dark horse books you know there was always this sometimes it was uh, implicit sometimes it was explicit but for the most part they were considered canonical in some expanded universe way right with yeah. the marvel books uh is it set up to be canon from the beginning like that's the understanding yeah okay. i mean that's that's what i want for sure and i feel and that's definitely what 20th century wants as well they want something i mean you know the show is coming out it's been announced um, so there's going to be more material and I, I mean, they'd be fools not to want this to fit in with that. I mean, they, that was one of my questions too. Yeah. That question yeah. also actually. Yeah. 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 Well, so, yeah. Yeah, so is this something that are, so I, I know obviously we can't, you can't get into it, but are you at all in contact with the writers of the show to set things like that up? Like, has that even been breached yet or no? Um, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say as far as who I've been talking to, but um, but I will say that Fox and Marvel, like myself being a you know one head of the of the the, the Marvel Hydra, <laughs> and then you know there being the 20th Century Hydra on the other side, and us now being allies, like the two Hydras are talking. <laughs> like we're there's you know there are I'm not saying I myself am speaking to Ridley Scott himself or any right. or the specific writer for episode whatever. Um, I shouldn't get into all that, but I will say that the two houses are very much talking and um, we want it all to belong on the same bookshelf, like I said. Okay, cool. You know, I Speaking feel like of belonging, um, what for you as a writer makes, what is Alien about for you? What Because it's about different things for different people. Um, I myself think Alien is really about the story of Alien you know, certainly the canonical first three films and arguably maybe parts of the fourth film or whatever. And some of the comics, when they're good, they're about how we as humans battle with darkness. And what do we do? How do we respond to it? What is that? How do you answer that question as, as a writer for these new stories? Um, to me, there's not a central theme um, as much as there are through lines that take us from chapter to chapter. I love that each, as we said, each each story is its own thing. Even though that, you know, in the first few movies, resurrection. I'm, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I think resurrection resurrection is rough, and I don't, I can't, I kind of <laughs> can't get through it. <laughs> like, yeah, but, oh yeah. Um. So I, I've seen that exactly one time, and uh, one time. Wow. One, unless you count the first. 20, 30 minutes, like additively. <laughs> yeah. The attempts to rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe a total of like 2.3 times, maybe. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like one full time. And uh, I don't care to watch it again. Um, <laughs> but uh, the first three, though, each one of those is its own thing. 
um, even though Ripley connects it. So one, one connective tissue aspect is Ripley herself. One is the Weyland-Yutani Corporation kind of seeing them grow in influence and just, you know, their, their pull trying to get the, find the Xenomorph. Um, the Android thing where you see, you see Ash and you see Bishop and then you see David later. And the one actually pretty cool aspect of four, as I recall, <laughs> was uh, Winona Ryder and how these, they're basically humans now and like they have, they're independent and they consider themselves, you know, people. Um, there's a lot of cool shit there. And I, so the, the through lines are like the corporation, the character, the Android, the, xenomorph, like the physical development of the Xenomorph itself, seeing them get, you know, seeing them adapt and change and coming out of different things and, you know, just keeping us scared. Um, these are all kind of the things that, um, that you can kind of recombine in different ways. I really, really like um, a ton of aspects of Prometheus and Covenant. And part of that is, um, the relationship between humanity and the androids. I thought that combined it in a whole new way. We never, we haven't really, like Ash, when we discover that Ash is a robot in the first one, it's just like this, what the fuck moment? Because they just did not prep us for that at all. Like what just happened? His head's off. Oh, I think I get it. But it's not, it's not, uh, you're not developing it in a way. He's just a company tool, you know? He's like a spy. But in but later, when we see Prometheus, we see humanity's relationship with the concept of creating life. Prometheus is all about the creation of life. And now we get to see the um, you know, this this human character and David and the xenomorph all kind of as this next step in evolution kind of thing that we, you know, we're all kind of like siblings kind of battling it out in different ways. And I love the comparison of the android with the xenomorph. And uh, this David's screwed up relationship with humans and his relationship with the xenomorphs that we see come to fruition in Covenant. Um, his search for meaning and search for something that, search for something better, you know? Um, it's just a really rad way to to use the android in, in, in a way that had not been explored in the earlier films. I thought that was just a masterstroke. So yeah, to me, there's not to me, there are these pieces on the board that you can combine in different ways, and I'm, I'm combining the pieces in, in yet another different way in my first arc. You just said a lot of the things that I adore about, specifically about Covenant, but but the things, you know, we're in the middle of an ongoing Prometheus series right now. And and a lot of the themes that you're talking about are things that have been kind of bubbling up in that conversation, too. And I think the treatment of artificial intelligence vis-a-vis David, I think it's just is really sophisticated and really interesting. And it's something that when the movies came out, I think a lot of us kind of shrugged off like, eh, whatever, you know, it's a sensitive robot, you know, but it's actually emerged like people really have connected to that arc. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also nothing else to connect to. So. <laughs> in Prometheus. <laughs> um, but that's that's really cool. So, so there's yeah, there's a lot of different sort of uh, things on the board. I like how you said that. But tonally, right? Alien is one thing. So for me, going back to the Dark Horse days, because I'm somebody uh -huh. who grew up, um, you know, like I'm going to have bookshelves full of the Dark Horse comics. It was a huge part of my my young life. Oh, nice. Um, uh, I I feel like Labyrinth is an example of a comic arc 
that that could have been a movie. Like that could have been like an incredible film. But I do hear what you're saying oh, that, that with Mad Dark, that was I really admired how like uncomfortable that book made me. Do I think about that book all the time? I thought about that book watching the uh, the Color from Space last night, Jamie. I I, I think about that book in terms of the body oh, horror, horror in it. Or out of space. The, yeah. the Nick, Nick Cage flick, yeah. Yeah, that's the Lovecraft story. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Did you see it? I did. Yeah, it's a good genre piece, right? Yeah, no, I loved it. I thought it was really good yeah, visually. It's, it's very striking. The actors did great. It was a lot of really, yeah, totally creepy, especially in the back half. <laughs> it gets pretty, it gets pretty fucked up. But Labyrinth yeah. goes to that place too, right? Where it's just like it's just re- it gets really fucked up. Um, so like in terms of Dark Horse comics, for me, that's a that's a potential film that I could see being made. Um, when okay. you're doing something for Marvel. I say this, I didn't actually answer this question earlier, but I am fundamentally a Marvel person. I haven't just, but that's like, that's like sort of my brand, you know, my whole life. Um, Marvel comics, you know, by and large on the mainstream imprint, at least, which maybe this isn't actually, is this just, is this just a mainstream Marvel? Is it just like a Marvel comic? It's not like a sub imprint or anything. Right. It's just straight up Marvel. It's just straight up Marvel. So, so I'm assuming that Marvel, for example, wouldn't let you go to a, a place like Labyrinth goes. Is that correct? Um, I don't know. They couldn't let me. Um, I, I had very, <laughs> so when they gave me this gig, I walked into the room and I was like, you know, my stack of papers and my glasses into my nose. And I was like, so I'm the expert and here's what I think. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, here's what we should do. I made very, a very clear case for here are the things that I think dark horse crushed it. And here are the things where they fucked it all up. And they're like, and, um, and I, <laughs> That's, I'm putting it a little too strongly. That's not true. But I, <laughs> I was just, I kind of set myself up as like, here are the thing, here, here's my stance on Alien. And um, I think that they got a little too far away from, from the designs. Some, some of the books got too far away from Giger's original, original vision that made it so, that made the Xenomorph the perfect depiction of fear on screen. Um, when they start introducing other kinds of aliens that just looked, I don't know, man, it just didn't, some of the books just didn't look at the visually as, as striking. It was all kind of a mishmash or the aliens didn't look like Giger anymore. Um, that was a big part of it. Part of it was just this infatuation with the space Marine versus mm-hmm. alien thing that just couldn't yeah, get yeah. a big way out of it. We've just seen so much of that now. And I mean, because it's awesome. I mean, it's a really striking visual and it makes, makes some really cool stuff to set up. But um, but now it's just been done to death, and it's but it casts such a long shadow, right? That movie is just so incredibly iconic that um, you kind of it's not like you don't you don't have to use it, but it's a big thing. They didn't say I couldn't go, I couldn't do any certain things. I just kind of made a case for why we should start uh, from a place where it's just like the movies in in tone and in how hard we go as far as the the gore and everything. And then we can start to step away. We can continue to take steps forward as long as our first step is predicated on those early mm. first, two, first two movies specifically. Because in my opinion, three, as much as the three of us love it, um, the stuff that happened, the fact that Sigourney Weaver is kind of out of the mix now, the fact that um, Newt and Hicks, everyone's still kind of pissed about that. <laughs> um, there's all these possibilities that they could have done with those characters. I feel like there's a future in which that gets retconned. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to base this first arc on on chapter three definitely being like true quote unquote. So I really wanted to basically 
continue a whole nother series of films that continued after the James Cameron film, if that makes sense. Without Ripley? Your stories do not include Ripley? Uh, if I'm you not can't sure. talk about I'm it, not, that's I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. There, I will say there's a familiar face from the, from the, from the early, from the first couple of movies. Okay. But the central oh, character is this Gabriel character, yes, correct? Gabriel Cruz, yeah. Gabriel he's my, Cruz, yeah. He's my new, my new protagonist. And this is somebody you came up with. This is uh, kind of anchoring yeah. this new series. Yeah, I like he, that. It's a man, actually. I think that it's 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 time we. I don't yeah, think thanks. I I don't think that um, good characters are good characters, re- regardless of gender. Ripley's a good character because she's a good character, not because she's a woman. Um, yeah. And I think that there's been this this uh, pivot to oh, let's make it a woman. Let's make because that's what's come before. And it's actually does a disservice to who Ripley and Sigourney Weaver and that character were during that time, just to sort of do it again and again and again. She was powerful because of who she was and who the actress was and the 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 time, the genre and everything. So I think it's I think it's appropriate that we sort of move on from there and say, hey, you know, anybody can be a good character if we write them that way. Right. Well, I mean, as I was saying about the um, Space Marines cast, like that, the James Cameron casting this Long Shadow. I feel like Ripley does even even more so. Oh my God! Yeah. Any, any any female character is going to get compared to Ripley. Uh, I think Elizabeth Shaw. She is also an awesome character, and I feel like it doesn't. And she's so different from Ripley. Doesn't she is. doesn't exactly get compared to her so much. But now you got st- two strong female characters that that you know embody the the Alien series. I don't feel like the character in Covenant quite stood up to those two, and now you've had nothing but female protect- protagonists the whole time. And I feel like to to introduce yet another one in my in my first shot at this series would be inevitably compared to wh- whichever character that she was most like um, Ripley almost certainly. And um, yeah, I wanted to bring in a character that was distinctly different uh, from Ripley in pretty much every way. So I've got this character who is a Gabriel Cruz who is a lifelong company man at Whalen Yutani, and you know gives up everything for the company. Get, kind of gets discarded by the company late in life. And now he kind of, kind of gets called back into the saddle one more time. This big, when this big thing happens and, you know, he has, it's uh, his family's involved and his own past is hugely involved. And he has to kind of not redeem himself exactly, but he kind of questions all the decisions he's made up to this point and um, you know, what the right thing is, you know? So it's, it, it needs to have a, some kind of a, Every story should be about character at center, and this one, this one certainly is. It's mostly about Gabriel Cruz and his son, their relationship, and um, the sacrifices he's made, and the reasons, you know, his his deep secret reasons for doing what he did and what he's going to do next. Oh, that sounds That's so awesome. Good. I, I will say, yeah. Philip, that in, in fandom conversations, Wayne Yutani comes up all the time. Yeah, something people are curious as an undiscovered country. Yeah, essentially. It's, it's it's this like the new world that hasn't been broached yet. It's like we hear the legends of it, but we never really see any of it, you know. So yeah. um, I'm not not saying not suggesting you necessarily need to show us Wayne Johnny, but but the fact that it that it addresses that, I think is is going to go over really well with people. Thanks. I hope so. Yeah, I wanted to show the other side. I mean, they're always this shadowy bad guy, and I mean, not to say that they're not here, but <laughs> there's a, but now we kind of see like an insider's view for a change. And I also really wanted to explore. Whale Nutani as a like its own sovereign nation kind of because they're so powerful. You know, you know, as we all know now, corporations when they get to a certain degree, when they get to a certain status, certain size, and and prominence, they kind of don't answer to anyone. 
And I wanted to, uh, to show that. I and mean, we see that in the film somewhat, but it's kind of hinted at. I wanted to see, I remember hearing, um, hearing conversations and interviews about uh, conversations that happened in the White House between president of the United States and the head of like Exxon or somebody. And how in those in meetings like that, they speak to each other like peers. You know, there's no, it's not like, yes, sir, Mr. President at all. It's more like, well, this is your, this is your house and I got my house and I'm just as powerful as you. And they, their, their power is wielded in different ways. But um, I, wanted to, I wanted to see that. I'm like, what if Will and Yutani get so big that they end up becoming a threat to governments around the world and, and it becomes like its own, you know, competition for the whole concept of government. And like, on one hand, you got the concept of, of government on earth and then you've got this corporation that controls other planets and like who's, who's strongest, you know? Uh, I kind of want to see that growth continue that we see, or, you know, the, it's kind of suggested in the, in the movies between, you know, when it's the Wayland Corporation with Peter Wayland and then later on with the, the original two, two or three movies, I want to see that continue and see the, the power dynamic between them and other, other human factions. I think that's incredibly relevant too, and to, certainly in terms of, you know, we live in a world now where these we have uh, sports stadiums that are renamed, like by like the IBM Stadium or exactly. Stadium. you know, where they own everything, everything, and in some ways they are calling the shots. Um, the, you know, even decisions made by governments. If a huge company comes out criticizing it. What happens sometimes? The government switches course because it, yeah. it's not working for them. And I think what Wayland Utani is so much. I mean, they were only hinted at in the first three films, and certainly in Aliens, we see the most of them than we that we'd ever had seen before. Um, and they seem like a corporation. Like you know, they're all sitting there. They're all smoking their cigarettes. They're disconnected. They're concerned about their money. They're concerned about their property. Um, but we live in a, a world where, um, how we live is based off of the decisions that corporations make. So I think the relevancy in an alien story is way long past due. So yeah, that's thanks. exciting. Talked about it. Especially like coming out of just briefly the, the pandemic, like the fact that, you know, there has been trillions of dollars in profit among a small handful of companies that have just these astounding valuations while people around the world have suffered from poverty, poverty, neglect. And, you know, just at Davos three weeks ago, we saw all those people in a room together, you know, virtually speaking, at least. And, and, and Wayland Jutani would be in that room at Davos and Wayland Jutani would be pretending like they're doing the right thing while they're actually, you know, using people's literal death as a as a way to up their market value you know it's 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 incredibly fucked up you know so like all the stuff we're talking about it's it's bringing me back to this conversation that was happening in fandom which i don't know if, if philip if you were like super uh like aware of it or anything but around the time last year when uh so for, for let me preface this by saying in alien fandom as you know as a member of it there's been a lot of upheaval right over the last couple of years there was the whole what was happening with fox thing and disney was buying it you know are the aliens going to become disney princesses there was this whole like you know ongoing thing about is this gonna are they going to water this down is it going to become too hyper commercialized 
Um, and then in the midst of that, the Marvel announcement came, which was greeted by, I would say, almost everybody with a, a passionate ambivalence, right? Like, we all felt very happy about it from a quality control standpoint, like knowing, okay, well, it's in really good hands. And also very upset that that Dark Horse was not going to have the license anymore. And that, like, this thing that we felt very, like, I don't know, it felt like it felt like Dark Horse was kind of in the fan you know, community a lot. And Disney can and Marvel can kind of do whatever they want to, to a degree. Um, and I felt like, as a fan, the sense of like, man, I really hope that they get it. Like, I really hope that if it's in these new hands, that they pick people who understand the franchise, knowing that they probably would because they're savvy. But also just, I, I just want to just sort of say out loud, feels really good because it's, it, it's extremely clear talking to you that you are one of us. And that the Disney and, and Marvel and this whole empire that has this franchise is actually taking it seriously. So I, I just want to say that it's, it's making me feel a lot better as a fan talking to you tonight. Oh, good, man. I'm so glad to hear that. And yeah, I totally get where you're coming from with the, um, like, hating to see Dark Horse lose the license. I mean, you know, this independent publisher who had their, their hand in that basket for a long time and put out a ton of content. A lot of it's super rad. Um, and you're right. They were very connected with fans and all that. I am... Um, you know, Marvel also snapped up Star Wars uh, a, a while back, and a lot of those, you know, a lot of Dark Horse Star Wars books were good too. I do, you know, all respect to Dark Horse, I do feel like Marvel leveled them up as far as quality, and some of the Star Wars books that have been coming out lately <clears throat> are just so good. Yeah, they're really I mean, they, they really, I mean, they just figured out how to not screw this up as far as adding to the canon in a way that doesn't break shit. You know, like they, you know, you'll see all these moments that you kind of want um, between chapters. You'll see, you know, after episode four, you see Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader meet someplace, which it never expressly says it didn't happen in the movies. It doesn't disprove anything in the movies, um, but it just, it adds like more, you know, that kind of more uh, character relationship stuff that you just want. And you see, you see so much more about Darth Vader behind the scenes. You see how he's not just this, I mean, we know, now, of course, all these things from the movies about his, you know, his his longer arc. But we see even more. They see where he, you know where his lightsaber comes from. You see um, more of the struggles that he goes through as far as what he what happened to Padme, and um, you just he becomes this. It makes his redemption at the end of Star Wars feel so much more earned. Like these little beats made by incredible creators, some of the best illustrators, some of the best writers in the business, and um, I feel like they've really kind of dial it in as far as how to do this kind of thing. They, they know how to do movie licenses. And it is my hope that they take that same path. Same thing for Conan. I was very excited to see what they're doing with Conan. And I, I don't know a lot of what else is happening as far as Predator or who's taking other, you know, AVP type uh, properties after me. But I know they're taking it seriously and that they, they really want to stick this landing. And so far they're doing it. They've, the stuff I've seen from Salvador so far has been incredible. Um, you know, the, the cover, even just the covers that they're putting out, oh, you know, so good. are just as good as it gets. Um, I think they're, they know what they have, you know, they, they know the value of what they have and how hardcore the fandom is. So as much as it does suck for dark horse, um, as far as fans of the property goes, the, the quality is going to be extremely high and I don't think they're going to, and you know, they're getting, they're letting me get away with some gore. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, um, I'm not testing the fences quite as much as I, as I hope to <laughs> very soon, like next issue soon. But, um, but they've, they've already had some chances to walk me back and so far they have it. So that's I awesome. Mean, 
it feels just like one of the films so far. Well, and I think um, to Patrick's point, fandom, alien fandom has been in this, uh, tr- uh, this fragile place for a long time, whether it's post alien three, then the, the set, the fracturing during and post release of the prequels. And it's always like, it's always something else. It's something else. And so I think the nervousness comes from like, are they going to get it right? Are they going to get it right? And from what we can tell you, they're getting it right, which is what right. fandom needs, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think that the nervousness and certainly now we have a show coming out that's set on earth and people are kind of like, uh, it's another moment gonna, where everybody's like, oh, you know, this is awesome, but <laughs> kind of yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's it's I think when we start seeing things when certainly when the show comes out and when your um, issues start coming out that will calm people down and eventually unify them when people know hey you don't just take it seriously you get it because it's about getting it it's about getting why the original trilogy was so great it's about getting why certain comics were so great because it was the human story it was the human drama it was it was all of the things that make uh, that's why the the Marines are great because we can connect with them. We can relate to them. That's why that shadow's so long because nothing's matched up since. Um, So I I think everyone's ready for it. And so it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. I will say one aspect of, I, I really do love Prometheus and covenant. And um, I mean, my, even when I see problems in these movies, the exception of resurrection, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I don't even know why <laughs> resurrection is such like so like gross to me. I don't know. I can't put my finger on what's wrong. Oh, we can. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 that was actually the second series we ever did was was an extended resurrection thing like four three years ago now, and that yeah. was that was simultaneously the most I'm, the most I've ever laughed on any podcast in, in my life was that series, and also the most I've ever been like, oh my god, you know, it's just yeah. it is such a wonderfully cringy, disturbing, but but also like for a lot of us very nostalgic, you know, story. So I, yeah, it's it's complicated. Yeah, I yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, because I see problems in the other ones too sometimes, but I my love for Alien is so high that I just I just love them anyway. Like I love, mm-hmm. and I will say one thing, one thing that um, that does it's not nearly enough to to break Prometheus or Covenant. The concept of showing us straight up how the xenomorph was created, um, that kind of breaks the spell a little bit because I always kind of, I perceived the xenomorph as well, like the perfect organism, like the, like the name of the show, like the, um, uh, the thing that's out there in space, just waiting for, waiting for a, uh, a race, an intelligent race to stick its head up, to get a little too prominent, a little too intelligent, to learn a little too much, just waiting for us to show up, to reveal ourselves. And then it's there to knock us down. Like this thing that's waiting out in the universe, waiting for us to be worthy of its notice, and then it kills us. And the alien movies are kind of like our emergence into space and like into the bigger field of what space represents. And then the xenomorph is there to find us. Um, like we've gotten too small, we've gotten too close to the sun, you know, like that's kind of what, what the xenomorph is, what it represents to me. And to answer the mystery of where it came from, and not only that, to make it a kind of a young thing, um, kind of breaks that spell, but there is an out that I am exploring in the comics. Oh, cool. 
And that out is that in, in Prometheus, actually, should we talk about that? Hmm. I found a way to, okay. So in like in Lord of the Rings, the, the Cimmerillion is kind of like the old Testament that tells us the origins of that whole world. Right. 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 To me, as, as awesome as that is, as awesome as the world building is, the whole, that book is like a masterclass on how to world build. It's this entire, it really is like a book of the Bible that's just whole cloth creation. Um, when you pull back the curtain like that, it breaks that spell and you should really, it needs to introduce another curtain behind that one, <laughs> you know, where it's the world, you know, cosmos is even older than you thought it was. And here's the, you know, Here's the things that came before. And that's now that's the mystery. You know, I, I want there to be, I want the mystery back. You know, I want the mystery back. Like, where did they come from? Yeah. And even though that question has kind of been answered, there is a question in the alien movies that has not been answered. And so there is. And so we're going to be dealing with that in my run. In Prometheus, when they go into the temple, you see that big, that big, uh, what are you called? The like mural. Nice and on wall, the, yeah. in the mural is a, an alien with the right. head extended and it's out like Jesus. Um, right. So clearly those things have were there before. Yeah. And exactly. uh, I think even in the tunnel in Prometheus, the uh, some of the engineers suits have the thing burst out from them. So clearly the aliens been around. I always just said su the suggestion was David was playing around with, with material. He had no idea. Um, he, you know, he, he was like, oh, this does things. Interesting. What else can it do? That's all he was doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've read every single one of those little journal entries that he had in Covenant. And um, I mean, you can go through the extras in that disc and, and read everything. Oh, my God. I fucking love that. The plants and everything, the anatomy yeah. of the organisms. Yeah, it's crazy. So much cool shit in there. And uh, so, yeah, I, he, he, he stumbled on like the, the, the form of xenomorph. But it doesn't mean it hasn't. It doesn't mean it's never been out there. And like the, yeah. the black, the black goo is kind of the mystery. You know, like they say, mm. how, where does it come from, and how, where does it do? And so there's, uh, we get into some of that, and not just my first arc, but that's kind of like a long form. Like this, it's one of the pieces on the board now that I'm messing with is like the another through line that connects all the movies in these books, is, um, you know, how far back does this go, and what are some other forms might take? Oh, that is awesome. Uh, as we pivot to some user or some listener comments i was just curious philip what do you think about the engineers um i mean what about them as 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 creatures uh, as things that exist within do, do they inspire you do you like them <laughs> um <laughs> i mean i love the idea i mean i've i mean ever since i mean probably the, the first moment in that first movie um when you're inside the derelict and you see the uh, space jockey for the first time and how goddamn big it is yeah. and that, that inside of the ship and how just the incredible set they made for that film. Um, you just, it's that first look like, Oh my God, the world, the world, you know, cosmos kind of a sense so much bigger than I thought. And there's this, now we, you know, what am I looking at? Where am I? Like, what am, what am I? And then after that, we see, you know, all the eggs and stuff um, that, image of the of the um of the space jockey was always this unanswered question even back when i saw the first movie whenever the hell that was um they you know we get to see what those eggs are but it doesn't really give us the answer about the space jockey and i just had all these i that was where my mind went almost even more than the xenomorph because i would 
I was totally that kid in the back of the classroom, just dreaming about this crap, all like just ignoring whatever was happening at the front of the room and just sketching out different versions of xenomorphs that might come out of different animals and, um, you know, how they might work and other, 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 other aspects of the life cycle that we're not seeing. Like what if, what if there's only, what if, you know, just kind of figuring out how how the whole thing worked. But then I would also kind of imagine where that ship came from and what happened before that. Like Prometheus was, I was more excited for Prometheus than any other film, maybe in my whole life. Like I can't wait to see this because I've been imagining mm-hmm. where that ship came, where the derelict came from my whole life. And um, I thought this was going to be mm-hmm. the answer to that. I thought the ship that we saw in the trailer was that was the derelict, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that it wasn't. I mean, I'm glad that it was that we, you know, told a bigger story than just that one simple little answer. But the, I mean, the, my mind was captured. My imagination was captured by the by the engineers as much as it ever was by um, you know, the xenomorph, just knowing where they came from and how they got, how the xenomorph came to them and all the things that might've happened before that. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny. Oh. The, the engineers, uh, it, a lot of what we're talking about, you know, with the black goo and the engine and the engineers and that relief on the wall and everything, like a lot, a lot of this is, it like could be an answer to a question, but it isn't like, it's the sort of beginning of an answer, but that answer isn't actually definitive at all. So it's, it, it's possible to keep imagining. And I, th- I think the space jockey in particular, we went into this on our last episode a little bit, part of why that burrows so deeply into so many of us is exactly what you're talking about, Philip, is that we see that. And there was like no answer to that moment. It's just, it, we can't even tell if it's organic life. We can't, we have no clue what we're looking at. Yeah. And we just like, looked like a gun looked like it looked like it was connected to him. It looked like he was yeah. part of the, of the, the chair and all that. Like, yeah, oh, it was, just it was so, so alien, right. In such a yeah, fundamental exactly. way. And it was enormous and how long it had been dead. And was that its face or was that its outfit? It's just, there was all these exactly. weird, right. And then they move on. It's only in, in the movie for like, you know, barely a minute. And then it and moves that, on. That was, the, that was the first example of Giger I'd ever seen. And it, the, the way that the, um, that the, um, you know, the, the technology and the organic stuff all like it was the same thing, like how the, the organics and the, the tech stuff all weave together to become like one thing. You couldn't tell where one stopped and one began. Mm-hmm. So captivating. When I found more of Giger's work later, I just like accidentally saw it somewhere. I was like, like I know what this is. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, <laughs> that kind of led me down this rabbit hole of, of discovering more of H.R. Giger's work. Um, yeah, dude, it just, it captivates the imagination so well. And it's still, he still represents Giger in a way that the Xenomorph does that yeah. makes aliens so cool. And so memorable is just that those physical designs incorporated with the, all the mythology and all the crazy life cycle stuff. Yeah. And I like how the engineers, like ultimately there, there's, there's still this Lovecraftian element to them because like, you know, they are the ancient ones, right. In Lovecraft, like we get, we get answers, we get the beginnings of answers in Lovecraft, but that still makes, doesn't make sense to us. Right. Cause we don't know why. Like, we don't know what the point is of these ancient deities. We don't know what they're after. We don't know, you know, like why they've been dormant for so long. And so I feel like, uh, yeah, what you're saying is resonating with me a lot. And and with Covenant in particular, like the fact that David arrives at basically this protomorph, it's like clearly not like the xenomorph that we know and love. He got to it through some parallel process, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is is significant. But anyway, I want to make sure, before we wrap, there's... uh, I didn't give people as much of a heads up this time on this interview because we just scheduled it last week, but there has been a, a flurry of questions coming in from fans that, we, that they want to ask you things. You've already gone through some of it. Um, so I'll, I'm going to skip with, with people's permission, although you can't give me permission. Please, I mean, anyone who doesn't get their question answered tonight, please at me on Twitter or whatever and ask me your questions. I'd love to answer. Oh, great. Actually, well, that's a good point. Where can people follow you on social media and stuff? 
Um, well, my website is my full name.com. It's just fill up the two L's, kennedyjohnson.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook with my full name. I'm at Twitter under at Philip K. Johnson. Again, fill up the two L's. Uh, Instagram, uh, Philip underscore Kennedy underscore Johnson. Uh, but yeah, as far as like, if you got a, just a quick question, feel free to hit me up on, on Twitter. Awesome. And your website, by the way, is beautiful. It's great oh, layout, a lot of information on there and, and all that stuff is linked through there too. So if you just go to philipkennedyjohnson.com, you, you can get them. So our buddy, Sean Hewitt, um, asked how you became a writer uh, how you, uh, how long you'd had of, actually, this, this is a question. So, so he's wondering how long did you have a vision of what your alien story would be? Was this something that kind of like happened? Like, was this gestating pardon the pun before, or is this something that chess bursted when you had the opportunity from Marvel? It, um, I had not, I mean, back in the day, I just fanfic, uh, alien like crazy as a kid. You did. Just, yeah. Just, just sketching. I like just sketching monsters and, making little backstories for each one. Here's this thing, and here's where it came from, and here's why it looks like this, and here's what it do, and all that crap. Um, and all the questions I had about, like, I think I wrote some time about the space jockey, about, like, where, like, the story about how they came to be there and what happened. I'm sure it was just dumb. But I was I was thinking about this stuff very early on, as a, like, late elementary school, probably. Um, but I didn't have this particular pitch, like, on the shelf ready for that call to come. I am... Um, I didn't flesh anything out to a usable degree mm. until I got the call. Then it was like, do this. And then all the questions that I had in my mind and things I would want answered myself and all these different takes that we might go, all these different, um, you know, bits and pieces of stories that I wanted to see all kind of started to coalesce around all my questions and things I love and stories and bits that I like thin places in the lore that I wanted answered. <clears throat> And that's not to say all that stuff's getting addressed in the first first arc. I mean, some of the some of the ideas I pitched to them are like crazy pants huge that I don't think would have been a good fit for the first arc. I actually I gave them like a a ten year plan kind of kind of thing where I was like, here's not literally, but like here's the, <laughs> um, things I can do. Here's a story that I think is way too ambitious for the very first shot out of the canon for Marvel. Like since this is the launch of a of a thing at a new publisher, I don't think we should do this particular thing here. But this is what this is what I would love to build up to. Here's another thing that goes way off planet. Here's one that's on Earth. Here's one that's Whale Utani. Here's one that says, I just went, here's all my ideas. And some of them I didn't actually, some of them I'm sitting on. Some of them I'm not, I didn't actually pitch to them yet. Because um, I decided after a lot of thought that we should start, since this is kind of a rebirth of, of alien comics, it should start like the films and continue to take gradual steps the way those films did. Again, in the first movie you see the Xenomorph. The next movie you see, now you're in the nest and you see, there's a bunch of them. You see the queen and you see the space marines. Next one you see the quadruped and you see the, uh, you know, um, you know, friggin', you know, more a different kind of human being and how they, how they perceive it. And then, you know, if you go on to Prometheus, you could arguably continue those steps too thematically and just as far as what the audience has seen, what the audience is ready for at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to keep taking steps forward from that second film as if the other movies had never happened, you know? So, uh, yeah, basically the, it all came together after I got the call, but all the ideas and questions and everything, have, I've been pouring those into myself, like all my, my whole life up to that point, if that makes sense. <laughs>
Yeah, it was like you said before. You were uh, you were training for a race. You didn't know you were running or so. What, what, what was that? Yeah, I was training my whole life for a race. I never knew it was coming. Yeah, right, right. That's uh, actually a Steve Colbert quote when he got asked to be a part of the Lord of the Rings trivia contest or something. Oh, <laughs> I love it. All right. So another question uh, from Nathan Gribble. He's wondering uh, what's something new you want to bring to the franchise. Um, if you can talk about, I yeah. want to restore the mystery that we lost with the the new films. Restore the mystery. Yeah, it's the question of where these things can these things should be. The Xenomorph should be unknowable, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. Even though we see, we learn more and more about them as we go, um, I want them to be unknowable again. And when you when you keep answering questions and they you know when people think that they've mastered it um, in the stories, it kind of takes away that magical terrifying quality when you know everything you need to know so we're gonna we're gonna try to make the, the whole mythology seem a little seem a lot older than we thought it was and introduce another another expression of that fear that uh, aside from the xenomorph and see you know let people know that there's still this thing out there waiting for humanity to raise its head up awesome um dominic Kalsar wrote a, a pretty amazing uh treatment uh, actually in the which i'm not going to go through here but he was basically t- he's saying like you know potentially you could tie the universe of alien to the universe of the eternals for example and he has a whole justification for like how he could see that working this is a, a larger question that i have which is, which you might not be able to answer but you know another thing that came up a lot when the announcement about this uh you know happened was we're going to start seeing all these crossover events with you know the xenomorph being involved in other storylines and other continuities and that you know we had all those you know all the all the variant covers coming out where you have iron man punching a xenomorph and stuff do you know to your you know understanding or what you can talk about is that part of the plan will we see alien in other places within marvel or within you know the franchise or, or what do you think i hope not i mean this is not a spoiler because i i don't know for a fact this is happening but i in my opinion we will yeah um i think that we will i um not certainly not in my arc my first arc and um not in the arcs that i have planned if i get to do them um i do think that it will happen at some point it doesn't mean that that will it doesn't mean that they will then live in that world from then on um i think they will probably it'll probably be like an event that where it happens and it goes away again this is totally my speculation um if i had to guess based on what i do know and what i think what i know about how marvel works and how you know, what I suspect they would do with the property is to, at some point, introduce them into the Marvel Universe, have this crazy event, kind of like what's happening now with King and Black over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> fucking love this. So Donny Cates is like my fucking hero right now. The shit that he is writing is is unbelievably good. And King and Black yeah, in particular, has, I actually have a temporary tattoo, but it's fading. But as a promo, <laughs> that they sent out for that. I fucking love that storyline. It's insane. Yeah, he's, he's crushing it. I mean, he's doing great work. And um, I feel like they'll do that kind of thing at some point in the in the in the oh, Okay, so like a big crossover event kind of a thing. In my opinion, yeah, that is okay. speculation, but um, that's what I think they'll probably do. But I, I also think that the aliens, here, like for example, Conan's in the fucking you know Savage Avengers or whatever. Yeah, right he's now. in the Savage Avengers now. You know, but it doesn't mean that the Conan book. It's not like he only lives here now. <laughs> you know, like he's also right. still living life. You know, at, on his his usual turf. So I feel like. They will probably, you know, find a way to do both. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's what I suspect will happen. And Predator, same thing. I feel like at some point they'll do Predator in the in the six one six in in some way. Cool. Yeah, Predator I think fits in six one six pretty well. Uh, yeah. Alien f- feels like 
maybe not. But who knows? Who knows? Marvel is surprising. Alien, there's a little dissonance with Alien in large part because of the Brood. Because um, mm. the Brood, yeah, set- the Brood is essentially. We've talked about this actually a lot. Yeah, the, the, Dave Goble is loving this right now. Sorry, go um, ahead, Philip. Well, the Brood is such a huge Alien ripoff. <laughs> it's such a fucking ripoff. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. I'm surprised they got away with it. Yeah, that uh, yeah, it just looks. They look so xenomorphy and. I don't know what they would do if the alien, I feel like that's why that, that's why I feel like they'll treat it like a, uh, in and out kind of thing where the aliens will show yeah. up. I won't bring up the brood while they're in town <laughs> and then they'll be out again. Um, I mean, the brood was a big part of my resurrection story. I mean, it was, that's, it gave that alien kind of flavor made my story, what it was, what it was, what it yeah. became. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's how they'll probably handle it. Probably kind of they'll pretend the brood's not around for, for the, duration of a series and then they'll the aliens will show up and then they'll find a way to, to win ba- barely and go back to normal but we'll see so dwight polson uh is wondering which movie and comic series from the franchise has had the most uh impact I, I guess for the sake of brevity which which film would you say had the most impact on the direction you're going with i know the first two films are the ones that come immediately before it right yeah and that's they're the biggest influences on the on the book as well on the upcoming book um Honestly, kind of an equal measure. I, if you were to ask me which one was most influential on me personally, I mean, because they're both, you know, beyond criticism to me, at least. Like they're both so great, but they're so different. Um, as far as what I personally prefer, I, gun to my head, I'd have to say the first one. I love that first one, but I mean, the second one is so goddamn good. Yeah. Um, and I know it's generally the preferred one. I, I mean, they're both tens out of ten for me, so it's hard for me to choose. But I, um, I love the claustrophobia of the first one, the, the discovery of the first one when you, you're seeing it for the first time. Um, that chest burster scene—you just can't top it. I mean, the first time you ever seen it, you're like, Jesus Christ, it's so hardcore, unforgettable. Yeah, and um, the second movie is so amazing, but it just doesn't quite have that holy crap moment where you where you see the derelict for the first time. And then you see the eggs for the first time and they open and then you see the friggin' thing on the face and you see the chest bursters like, how can you top this? You know, you just can't. Um, so I, I really want that claustrophobia of the first one. Um, just the actual horror movie thing, not just the action movie thing. But then I, I do have aspects of the military stuff too in it and the introducing the new, like the leveling up of the xenomorph. There is an aspect of that in this as well in a way that I think is very effective and terrifying. So um, it's a it's a fifty fifty of both as far as the influence. Cool, uh, Andy Geek Girl, another one of our buddies who uh, is very excited that you're coming on the show in particular. Uh, she's wondering uh, who's your favorite character aside from Ripley in the series in in, in the canonical film whole series. Oh god damn! Um, oh man, the second one has so many great characters. Yeah, there's like a million great characters in, in the second one in particular, I think. Yeah, I um, the ones that just popped into my head, like Lizard Brain just popped in there, were Bishop. I love Bishop. I love how Ripley just inherently mistrusts him, distrusts him at the, from, the, from the jump. And he's still very cool about it and saves him all time and again. He's just like that pure, like good character and he's not even human. I really like Bishop a lot. Um. I mean, Hicks is just so inherently likable. I mean, Newt, too. I mean, the whole cast of that movie is so awesome. I mean, I, I really love the way they talk in the first movie, like the way the, the banter between the, 
just the blue collar dudes is so great and fun. Um, you don't quite get the depth or just the, I don't have the emotional attachment to them as I do um, Bishop and Hicks and Newt. All three of them are great. And three, I really like the doctor, like the, the, uh, the humiliated doctor that just exiled himself in this prison colony where he, where he got where he, what he feels like he deserves. And that was such a shock when he died. I remember watching the character and like, he's so likable. I could see these two characters making it to the end. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Like almost, almost the moment I thought that he's like off the board, I'm like, Jesus, what just happened? Um, he's a great character too. But yeah, I, um, my, my gut knee-jerk reaction was Bishop. That's all. He's a great character. So there's nothing wrong with choosing Bishop. Yeah. I just, I hate, I hate, uh, sidelining you know bill paxton or or hicks or uh, or newt but i guess i gotta say bishop yeah and i love seeing him in three even in the even in the shape he's in it's cool to to see him even it almost made it better the fact that he's so broken but still he can talk and he's still the character that he was and all that is still it's pretty pretty uh it's heartbreaking it's such a it's such a turn on its head too like i love that it's a reflection of what ripley did in the first film but instead of engaging this robot with disdain and disgust she's engaging this robot with love and trust you know yeah, exactly. i love it yeah, yeah. and cradling yeah. him like in his in his like coldness and, and doing something very human by shutting him off again like yeah that's 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 such a fraught moment it's, yeah. it's very powerful, powerful. Um, but just for the sake of time, we have we have shout outs from paul herman chase cupo from tyler thompson asking a lot of very good and very funny questions many of which have already been answered um Ben Priest is asking about continuity. We've already been through some of that. Um, and Bryant Dillon, another friend of ours, says hey, that you are nice. super chill, friendly, and talented, and uh, and that we should enjoy our time with you. And I have to say, Mr. Philip, that we have – it's been a fucking incredible pleasure and honor to have you here for basically two Absolutely. hours tonight. Thank you. You are so busy. I mean, I can't even fathom how busy you are. And yet the fact that you're making this kind of time for fans uh, just says so much about – your respect for the series, for the franchise, for the fans who, you know, live and breathe it. And, uh, and you're one of us. And I just want to say thank you so very much for being here and for bringing your unique artistic self to this material that I cannot wait to devour in a couple of months. Thanks so much. I, I really hope you dig it. And it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And let's come back on. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Have a great night, America. Hey guys, you too. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Dan from Shoulder of Orion, and I wanted to personally invite you all to tune into my new podcast on war films, Danger Close. It's an exciting, community-driven project where a Marine veteran, a film critic, and a theater director talk all things war film related. We will cover old favorites, new releases, documentaries, and we'll interview veterans to get their first-hand perspectives. War is hell. People make films about it, and we love to talk about them. Please join us on your podcatcher of choice where we discuss our first film, Full Metal Jacket.